And before we hear God's word, I would remind you that the, that the grass withers and flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. Proverbs twenty six eleven. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sam. You may have set a record for the shortest scripture reading of proclamation. Let me start by answering two questions. First, why only one proverb? Why did I pick just one? I could have chosen several proverbs that all deal with a similar theme. Or I could have chosen to preach on verses 1 through 12, which seem to form a unit. Instead, I chose only one proverb. Why? Because I like to think of proverbs as the hard candy of God's word. Proverbs are like jolly ranchers. You suck on them. Have you ever stuffed your mouth full of jolly ranchers? You can do that with gummy bears, smarties, other candies, but not usually with jolly ranchers. They take too long to eat. I thought it'd be helpful to not stuff our mouths full of Proverbs. I thought it'd be helpful to pick one and, if you will, to suck on it together. So that's why I picked only one Proverb. But why this Proverb? Why this one? I'm preaching through 2 Peter at our evening services. About a month ago, I preached through chapter 2, and this Proverb, lo and behold, shows up. 2 Peter. So I wanted to revisit this proverb and meditate on it with you. This proverb answers a question that we often ask. Now let me illustrate with a story. As you might know, I grew up in Mount Joy and I graduated from Donegal. Early in high school, I became close friends with a non-Christian in my grade. We were in the same class together. And as our friendship grew, I began sharing the gospel with him I began inviting him to church, sharing about my faith, and I prayed for his salvation. I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. After a few years, my friend professed faith in Christ. I couldn't have been happier. He professed faith in Christ. This is what I was praying for. And after a few years, we graduated from high school and initially attended the same college. Later, he transferred to another college, And we've loosely kept in touch over the years. But it grieves my heart to say that this friend no longer calls himself a Christian. Why did he fall away? Why did he reject the Christian faith that he once professed? Why? It seemed like he was a genuine believer. But obviously the change was not permanent. Why not? Why not? This proverb, Proverbs 26.11, is about change, or specifically the lack of change. Why do people not change? Why do we have words like backslide, relapse, apostasy? Why? Why do people not change? God's word has much to teach us, friends. 
Let's start with the first half of the proverb. Like a dog that returns to his vomit. Okay, this is gross. We're supposed to say, ugh, what? A dog will eat something that it's not supposed to eat. Then the dog will throw it up and even go back, sniff it, lick it, and eat it again. This is gross. The proverb gives us a simile that's repulsive on purpose. On purpose. This is meant to grab our attentions. Now, I have bad news for all you dog lovers out there. Bad news. Don't tell your dogs. Don't tell Mac and Winston and Archie and Jonah. Don't tell Rosa and Eva and Bentley and Oakley and all the others. The Bible does not speak highly of dogs. There it is. The Bible does not speak highly of dogs. In the Bible, the dog is an animal of contempt. Contempt. The Bible thinks of dogs the way we might think about stink bugs and spotted lanternflies. You step on spotted lanternflies. At least I do. Contempt. Goliath said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Like turkey vultures, in the Bible, dogs eat carcasses and corpses. They licked up blood as messengers of God's judgment. Those who do evil are called dogs. And all you cat lovers are thinking, yeah, that's right, lay it into them, preach it. In the Bible, a dog is not man's best friend. It just isn't. This is what we see and smell in gross detail in Proverbs 26, 11. What happens when a dog eats something inedible? Usually it vomits it out. But that's not all. A dog will even go back to his vomit and eat it. Why? It doesn't make any sense. Why would a dog do that? Maybe the problem is a lack of behavioral reformation. What the dog needs is better training. Hold the chocolate in front of his nose a hundred times and say, no, do not eat. Or take her to the pile of vomit, hold her nose an inch away from it and say, do not eat this. Do not eat this. Reform the dog's behavior, and it won't eat vomit again. Or, maybe the problem is a lack of, you could call it, societal reformation. What the dog needs is a better environment. The dog is a victim of its system. Get the right collar, put in the right fences, install the right locks and gates, reform the environment, and it won't do that disgusting thing again. There's some truth to these ideas, right? There's some truth to them. A dog can be trained to do amazing things and simple things like sitting and coming and not eating certain things. In the same way, invisible fences and food cupboards help dogs to behave. They just do. So there's some truth to these things. But you know what happens when you accidentally leave the door open or come back later than you expected, or accidentally leave those snacks on the counter? Why will a dog eat what it's not supposed to eat? Why? Why will a dog even eat its own vomit? Why? Because a dog is a dog. 
A dog is a dog. Training won't change that basic fact. Leashes and locks won't change that basic fact. The dog is still a dog, and it will do what dogs do. That seems like an obvious point, right? As we turn to the second half of the proverb, the point becomes profound. It really does. Listen again. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Let's think on this together. This proverb is a jolly rancher, if you will. Let's think on it, reflect on it. So, what is folly? Folly is foolishness. It's stupidity. It's moral corruption. Folly is like vomit. Now, to put this into perspective, think of our triune God, the God who is one and true and all-wise and triune. This is his world. And there's an established moral order of right and wrong, of true and false, of good and bad, of wisdom, and of folly. What happens when we disregard God's moral order? What happens when we disregard his law and live however we want to live? What happens when we, like dogs, eat what God never designed for us to eat? We vomit it out and then return, like dogs, to eat it again. What in the world is our problem? It doesn't make sense. Why would we do that? Is our problem a lack of behavioral reformation? Like dogs, do we just need better training? Is that what we need? Is the answer to learn from our mistakes or to be the change? Is that the answer? Or is our problem a lack of societal reformation? Like dogs, are we victims of our environment? Is the answer, first and foremost, social change? Social reform? These are two common answers. These are two common answers that our world says. There's an obvious problem. Everyone sees it. And our culture will say things like, the answer is behavioral reform. Reform the behavior. Or the answer is social reform. That's what we need to do. Granted, there are elements of truth to both of those answers. If you think about it, there are elements of truth. The problem is that the quote-unquote wisdom of our world is always too shallow. It's always too shallow. Only biblical wisdom goes deep enough to really answer the problem. Why does humanity return to its vomit? Why? Because we are fools. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Who is a fool? In the book of Proverbs, this word describes someone who is arrogantly sure of his point of of view. He's sure of it. He won't be taught. He won't listen. He throws aside moral truth. He vents his folly. He gets himself and others into trouble. He's hot-headed and reckless. He smiles and winks at evil. He wastes money and loves mindless entertainment. Such a person is a fool, according to the book of Proverbs. So, are you starting to see the profound point, the simple profound point of this proverb? Why does someone repeat his or her folly? Why? 
because he or she is a fool. You can modify behavior and reform society to some extent. But fools are still fools. At a fundamental level, a fool cannot learn from his mistakes. At a basic fundamental level, a fool can't learn from his mistakes. At a fundamental level, a fool is a victim of her own folly. A fool will repeat his folly, her folly, because he or she is a fool. So the answer is not first and foremost reform behavior or reform society. No, the answer is first and foremost found in a transformation of the foolish human heart. That's what must change. Each one of us is born a fool. We are all born as hot-tempered, arrogant, lawless fools. The cutest babies, and there are lots of them at proclamation right now, the cutest babies are born fools. Who can change us? Who can free us from this enslaving cycle of returning to our folly? Who can save fools like us? The good news, friends, is that Jesus can. The Son of God became man, but he was not born a fool. Unlike you and unlike me, he was not born a fool. Only perfect wisdom could live according to God's moral order. Perfectly live according to God's moral order. Always doing what's right. Always doing what's good. Always what's doing what's wise. Praise God for Jesus, the wisdom of God who lived the wise life for us. Fools like us desperately need his wise record, his righteous record. But fools like us also desperately need his death, his atoning death. The wages of folly is death. Sin deserves the wrath of God and God's wrath must be satisfied in one way or another. This is the reason Jesus became the sacrificial lamb in our place. As you well know, Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that very same psalm, David writes, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers circles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. What happened on the cross? According to the will of his father, Jesus humbled himself to death. Jesus gave himself into the hands of dogs who gladly crucify the only savior of fools. So why did Jesus die? So that fools like us might be forgiven. So that he might rise again and send his spirit to transform our foolish hearts. So that dogs like us might be changed to become the father's beloved sheep. Dogs become sheep. I was once the fool doomed to return to my own folly. That was me. And if you're a Christian today, then this was once you too. But our God is a God who graciously and powerfully intervened. He intervened. And the Holy Spirit transformed our foolish hearts. So why did my high school friend fall away? Why did he fall away? The answer lies in this proverb. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. My friend, for a time, appeared to be saved, but he wasn't. 
He just wasn't. He's a fool. And he returned to his folly. This is the sad story of the false teachers in 2 Peter. This is what I preached on about a month ago. These false teachers are people who once appeared to be genuinely converted. The Apostle Peter writes that these false teachers once, quote, escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They looked like Christians, but they eventually turned back from the way of righteousness. They turned back. They were fools who returned to their folly. Let me ask you. Let me ask you. Are you a fool returning to your folly? Are you a fool returning to your folly? Does this proverb describe you? Look at your life. Are you a dog returning to your vomit? Does this describe you? Or are you truly one of God's sheep? There is hope for dogs. There is hope for fools. Friend, friends, the very next proverb, Proverbs 26, 12, says this. Listen to this. The very next proverb. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Did you catch that? There is more hope for a fool than for him. There's hope for a fool. But you must not be wise in your own eyes. You must not be wise in your own eyes. Peter writes about those who turned back from following Christ. They once professed him, now they deny him. Here's what Peter says. For those who fall away, for those who turn back, quote, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness. In other words, it would have been better for them never to have stepped foot in church, never to have heard the gospel, never to have been baptized, never to have gone on that mission trip, whatever it may be. It would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back. The Bible is frightfully clear. There will be no dogs in heaven. Now, I'm not talking about pets. I'm talking about people. The book of Revelation says this. Outside are the dogs. Outside. Outside of heaven. Outside of God's presence. Outside of the new heavens and new earth. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters. Everyone who loves and practices falsehood. In other words, there will be no fools in heaven. There will be no dogs in heaven. Only sheep. You and I, we must take responsibility for our sin without excuse, without blaming others. Dogs and fools must turn from their folly and cling to Jesus Christ. He came to save fools like us, like you and like me. And parents, he also came to save fools like our children. As I said earlier, each one of us is born a fool. No child learns to talk saying, Mommy, please more God's wisdom today. No, no child learns, learns that way. Please more of God's wisdom. Our children need heart transformation. Their hearts must be changed, regenerated. So do you see how this truth informs parenting? Our main target is their hearts. Their hearts, not their behavior. Not how they're 
acting in the grocery store or wherever. Our target is their hearts. This is what we just covered. Just covered in our Sunday school class on parenting and the church family. Paul David Tripp spends two video sessions talking about the heart. If you haven't come to the class, we invite you to come and participate. All are welcome. The age-specific lessons begin next Sunday. So Jeff Gingrich just wrapped up a discussion of the heart this morning, and next week begins two lessons on parenting zero to five-year-olds. Then after that, parenting six to 12-year-olds, and then 13 to 18-year-olds. For each of these age brackets, Paul David Tripp discusses what it looks like to target the hearts of our kids. A Christian couple once spoke to me glowingly, so glowingly, about a member of their family. He's 14 or 15. He's a standout baseball player. He's well-mannered. He's a good kid. Then I asked about this boy's spiritual life. It hadn't come up yet, so I asked, how's he doing spiritually? And they said, well, that's the thing. He's not a Christian. I share that story to make the point that our neighborhoods, maybe even our families, are filled with many well-mannered, successful kids and adults who are bound for hell. Fools need saving. They need saving, or else they will always repeat their folly to their doom, to their eternal damnation. Hearts must be transformed by the Spirit. They must. Now, Christians, let me speak to you. You might be wondering, as I wondered as I started studying this proverb, what does this proverb mean for me because I so often repeat my follies? What does this mean for me? I am one of God's sheep. Jesus Christ is my Savior, but I am prone to wander. I know that. Am I the fool in this proverb? Are you the fool in this proverb? Peter quotes this proverb to describe those who aren't truly saved. These false teachers in 2 Peter profess faith in Christ, but they brazenly transgress God's law. They throw it out the window. And that does not describe the vast majority of us here this morning. It just doesn't. That's not us. We're no longer the fool in this proverb. We were once dogs unable to not sin and unable to not return to our folly. But the Spirit regenerated our hearts. Though we are still able to sin, we are now also able to obey our good shepherd. We've been moved from a state of sin and misery to, a, to an estate, a state of grace. The desires of the Spirit now war against the desires of our flesh. We still sin, but we're no longer slaves to sin. We aren't. We are still sinners, but we are now, and especially saints. Dogs have become sheep. To use the imagery of the proverb, we are sheep, not dogs, but sheep who are slowly learning to not return to our folly, to not repeat it. This will be true of us until Christ returns. This will be true, this dynamic. This is why we'll soon sing the hymn, Be Thou My Vision. We pray that God would be our wisdom. We need his help. We do. What are your besetting sins? 
What are the sins that you repeat again and again? What are those all too familiar sins? Christian, beloved son or daughter of Jesus Christ, of the king, let this proverb remind you of this. Sin is folly. Sin is folly. It's vomit. And vomit cannot satisfy you. It can't. You will be tempted to return to it again and again. But God's word calls you, resist, fight, make war, flee, call for help, put it to death. The spirit has changed our appetites. We're no longer satisfied by vomit. We have tasted the glory of Jesus Christ. He alone can satisfy our hearts, those deepest longings. Do not exchange his glory, his glory that you have tasted and seen for your sins, for those same follies. Do not do it. You have tasted of the glory of the King of Kings. We began this service with the doxology from Jude 24 and 25. We studied this on our men and boys retreat about a month or so ago. It begins, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Apart from God's strong, preserving hand, every one of us would stumble. Every one of us would. Every one of us would return to our folly, turning from Christ and be lost forever. But our God is able to keep us from stumbling. He is able to present us blameless before his glorious presence with great joy. Blameless before his glorious presence with great joy. So Christian, we strive. We make effort. We make war. We learn. We strive by his power. But our hope is not in ourselves. It's not in you. It's in him. And this is why we ascribe to him all glory, majesty, all dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.